This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lake, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about fall or autumn poisons that you have to be aware of as the weather starts to get colder. We'll be right back after these messages. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life, and that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, I'm going to be talking about the dangers that approach now that summer is over. What do we have to worry about? Well, first of all, depending on where you live in the world, we're going to see that the weather is turning just a little bit colder. And with that, we're going to see one of the biggest poisons that I see this time of the year, and that's mouse and rat poisons. Now, the fancy word for mouse and rat poisons is rodenticides. And the word side or ICID usually means death or it's going to kill something. So insecticides kill insects, rodenticides kill rodents. So as the weather gets colder, we're going to see mice and rats seek warmer locations. And I'm embarrassed to say my cat has caught several mice in the house earlier this month. Thankfully, she doesn't drop them into our bed. She just runs around the house trying to catch them. So As fall starts to approach, we see more people putting out mouse and rat poison. Now, I'm going to say as a veterinarian and as a toxicologist, I really don't want you using these rodenticides in your house at all. To me, it is just as inhumane for a poor mouse or rat to die by internal bleeding, by seizuring, by dying of kidney failure, the way a dog or cat could be poisoned if they got into it. So to me, it's much more humane to adopt more cats so they can mouse for you in the household or to consider snap traps. A lot of people don't like that because they don't know how to set them up or they don't want to see the mouse attached to it, but it is way more humane to kill a mouse quickly than letting them die slowly. So regardless, If you have pets, not worth keeping mouse and rat poison in your house, because 
even if you put it in the very, very far back cupboard, underneath the dresser, in the very back of the closet, I guarantee you, your dog or your cat is going to find it. I also see people putting this outside by the firewood. And guess what? Squirrels are going to knock it down and your dog or your cat are going to get into it. Now, there are several types of mouse and rat poisons out there, and the clinical signs that a dog or a cat's going to show really depends on the type of rat poison or mouse poison that they get into. Now, I will tell you, it was at least five to six years ago where the EPA or the Environmental Protection Agency actually mandated that some of these companies that make these rodenticides or these mouse and rat poisons change the active ingredient. So you may recognize some of these brand names like Tomcat mouse and rat poison or Decon. Those are two of the most common ones that I see as an ER vet. Now, keep in mind, even though they have the same brand name like Decon or Tomcat, they could have one out of four different types of active ingredients. And when it comes to poison, it's the dose that makes a poison and the type of active ingredient that it is. Now, the biggest one that we used to see decades ago was what I called ACRs or anticoagulant rodenticides. These were types of mouse and rat poison that caused internal bleeding. So we would see signs of pale gums, difficulty breathing, vomiting or coughing of blood. Not a good way to go. But with anticoagulant rodenticides, these were types of products that were really similar to warfarin or Coumadin. Now, if you know a human who's had a stroke before, or they've had major heart surgery before, some of those people may actually be on tiny, tiny, tiny doses of Coumadin. And that basically affects your body's ability to be able to clot. Now, the good thing about this mouse and rat poison or this medication Coumadin is that it's actually reversible with an antidote called vitamin K1. Now keep in mind, this is not the same type of vitamin K you buy at like a health store like GNC. This is a prescription medical grade vitamin, vitamin K1. So the reason why I liked anticoagulant or ACR rodenticides is because this type had a treatment. If your dog or your cat got into it, I could easily just dispense vitamin K for about 30 days and I can treat the underlying internal bleeding. The way that anticoagulant odenticides work is that they inactivate the body's ability to use vitamin K. So it results in abnormal plotting and that results in abnormal bleeding. If your body can't clot, you're going to bleed and have internal bleeding. Again, not a fun way to go. Some of the most common older active ingredients of anticoagulant rodenticides included radificum, bromodialone, diphenthialone. I know it sounds like a mouthful, but that's one of the reasons why I don't want you to have any mouse and rat poison in the household. Now, the good thing about anticoagulant rodenticides that cause internal bleeding is because it's totally treatable, not only with vitamin K, but also with plasma transfusions. Now, if you've never heard of a plasma transfusion before, you want to check out my previous episode on transfusion medicine. We talked about this several years ago, but I talked about how dogs and cats can actually be blood donors. And we actually separate that blood and use the plasma, which means it's the liquid without the red blood cells. So what's in plasma? Well, it's clotting factors. So if your dog or your cat accidentally got into these anticoagulant rodenticides, I can not only treat it with vitamin K, but if it's life-threatening, I can treat it with a blood product or plasma product from another dog or cat. 
The second type of common mouse and rat poison that I see is a drug or an active ingredient called bromethylene. Now, it sounds very similar to those bigger words that I use that were anticoagulant rodenticides like bromodialone, but this one works totally different. Bromethylene actually causes brain edema or brain swelling, fancy word being cerebral edema. And when I see that, I can see dogs or cats start to walk like they're drunk or they'll start to head press, like press their head up against a wall. They'll have really abnormal behavior. They'll start to sway and become comatose. And then they'll start seizuring. Again, not a good way to go either, even if you're a mouse or a rat. With bromethylene, thankfully, most pet owners are able to get to a vet right away. And the sooner that we can decontaminate a dog or cat, like inducing vomiting and giving activated charcoal, the sooner we can treat it. Now, if you get into the emergency clinic and your dog vomits up a bunch of bromethylene, chances are they may need to be hospitalized for about 12 to 24 hours while we monitor them really carefully for any neurologic signs and we treat them with IV fluids, anti-vomiting medications, and we make sure that they don't seizure. Unfortunately, with bromethylene, once your dog or cat starts to show signs of walking drunk or seizures, the prognosis is really poor. Again, another reason why I don't want mouse and rat poison in your environment at all. The third type of mouse and rat poison is called cholecalciferol. And sometimes you'll actually see the words vitamin D3 on the box. Now I'm based out of Minnesota and we have six months of winter a year. So we're hardly outside. And most Minnesotans are vitamin D deplete. We actually have to take this orally. Now, that's what the mouse and rat poison is. It's huge amounts of vitamin D. And unfortunately, what can happen is that can actually result in abnormal electrolytes. It's going to screw up your dog or your cat's calcium and phosphorus level. And that can result potentially in secondary acute kidney failure. That one needs to be treated pretty aggressively because we don't want our pets getting secondary kidney failure from this mouse and rat poison. The last type of mouse and rat poison that I see is zinc phosphide. This one's not quite as common, but one of the most common ways that I see it is in the form of peanuts, like Sweeney's poison peanuts. So if you find random peanuts in your backyard, don't eat them. They're probably poisonous. Now, why do you have to care about zinc phosphide? Because this one is poisonous to you and your veterinary staff. The way zinc phosphide works is it kills gophers, moles, again, mouse and rats, and it's often used, placed around the backyard. And unfortunately, when a dog ingests it, it can result in the production of phosphine gas that's going to produce in the stomach and result in profuse vomiting and other signs. Now, if your dog vomits and you smell the vomit, you may smell the phosphine gas, and then you can get secondary signs from it or secondary poisoning. In humans that have been exposed to phosphine gas, they typically have signs of nausea, headache, migraines, bronchial reactions. They feel like they're having an asthmatic attack. So if your dog got into zinc phosphide, you want to be really careful about inducing vomiting. You always want to call the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center or your ER vet or your vet for life-saving care. And if they don't know about the dangers of zinc phosphide, please keep in mind that if you do induce emesis or vomiting, you want to do so outside in a well-ventilated area. If you are going to your veterinary clinic and your dog vomits in the car, then 
I'm always worried that that phosphine gas can poison you in the car. You want to roll down the windows just enough so that gas can get out. You want to crank on the air conditioner. You don't want to breathe that stuff in. If you're a veterinary clinic, we actually will induce vomiting outside in a well-ventilated area. And again, it's relatively uncommon for me to see zinc phosphide. The more common ones are bromethylene or those internal bleeding mouse and rat poisons. But again, you do want to be aware of this one because this one can poison you too. Now, what's the next common toxin that I see during the fall? Well, Halloween. The last week of October, my favorite time of the year, because what better way of getting free candy from your neighbors than Halloween? Unfortunately, I see so many dogs breaking the hearts of little kids everywhere by getting into the Halloween stash. So if you are going to have Halloween candy out, please keep it out of reach of your dog. Your cat is too elegant and too graceful to wolf down a huge amount of Halloween stash. So I rarely see chocolate poisoning in cats, but it's more of a dog thing. Dogs are gorgers. They have an excellent sense of smell. So they're going to smell that candy bowl and they're going to eat the whole thing, including wrappers. And those plastic wrappers actually can stay in the stomach and result in a secondary foreign body. Now, why is chocolate so poisonous? It's got two chemicals called methylxanthines, and that's going to include theobromine and caffeine. And if we ate a huge amount of chocolate, we'd probably have some of those side effects too. Now, with this poisoning, dogs sometimes will get mild, moderate, or severe poisoning. And with any type of poisoning, again, it's the dose that makes the poison. Let me fill you in on a little secret. When you buy fun-sized Halloween candy and your dog just eats one, it's not a big deal. The amount of true chocolate in there or true theobromine is relatively rare. It's filled with all other products. But if your dog gets into a significant amount, you definitely want to get to a vet right away. When it comes to theobromine or chocolate poisoning, I typically will calculate it out and I don't start to see poisoning until 20 milligrams per kilogram of theobromine. So in a big Labrador sized dog, that's going to be a pretty significant candy stash before I see problems. That said, all those candy wrappers can get stuck in the stomach and result in a potential foreign body. When I see mild signs of poisonings, again, at about 20 milligrams per kilogram of theobromine in dogs, that's going to include signs of agitation, panting, vomiting, which usually smells like chocolate, diarrhea, which typically smells like chocolate. With higher ingestions, typically greater than 40 milligrams per kilogram, I start to see heart effects. That's going to include heart arrhythmias, a racing heart rate, high blood pressure, abnormal heart rhythms. With life-threatening ingestions, this is usually greater than 60 milligrams per kilogram of theobromine. We can actually see seizures, tremors, and rarely death. Now, I'm going to warn you, white chocolate, barely has any theobromine, which is one of the reasons why I don't like it. But dark chocolate has a huge amount of theobromine. So the darker and the more bitter the chocolate, the more dangerous it is to dogs. So bitter, bitter chocolate is usually baker's chocolate. Baker's chocolate and semi-sweet chocolate chips, they're much more toxic because they have much higher levels of theobromine compared to milk chocolate or white chocolate. Regardless, keep your children happy and make sure to keep that Halloween stash out of reach because this is one of the biggest poisons that I see during the fall. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. 
As a veterinarian, I want you to keep your dog as healthy and happy as possible. That's why I'm a huge advocate of Rockwell's Pets Pro Probiotics. Probiotics are used to help stabilize and strengthen the intestinal flora. They have a lot of positive effects on the entire body system. Simply sprinkle the desired amount on your dog's food and it can help boost the immune system, treat diarrhea and constipation, restore gut health, and lower cholesterol levels. Plus, it's vet recommended, made in the U.S., and comes with a money-back guarantee. For more information, go to rockwellpetspro.com. That's rockwellpetspro.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, we've been talking about autumn or fall dangers. As the weather gets colder, we're going to see different types of poisonings. Now, we already talked about rodenticides, mice and rat poisons that can be really dangerous to dogs and cats. We talked about my favorite poison, which is chocolate, because when I induce vomiting, once a dog gets into it, it's the only time when chocolate vomit actually smells good in the hospital. A couple other poisons I wanted to talk about are more common during this time of the year, and that's going to be mulch piles. Everyone's doing spring or fall cleanup, and as a result, they are dumping everything into the back part of the yard where they're going to compost it. Now, I'm a huge advocate of composting because it really decreases the amount of trash that you're going to set on the curb. When you compost, you should, first of all, be composting only raw foods. You don't want to include any dairy and you don't want to include any meat. So when I backyard compost, I'm really only using vegetables or green material or leaves or grass clippings or kitchen items that are uncooked that don't contain dairy or meat. Why? Because with dairy and meat, it can actually result in what we call a tremogenic mycotoxin. I know that sounds like a lot, but that's just a fancy way of saying that weird, funky fungi will grow in your compost. And those can actually poison wildlife and dogs when they eat the compost bin. And yes, remember dogs eat their own feces and they like to dive into the compost pile because they can chew on different parts of kitchen food. So the first rule is you want to make sure that your compost is well secured and fenced off. You don't want your dog or wildlife getting into it because again, they can have severe poisoning from it. Now, the classic signs that I see with compost toxicity, or again, the fancy word being tremorgenic mycotoxins, are typically drooling, vomiting, panting, being really agitated, walking drunk, and having these fine muscle tremors constantly. Now, by the time the dog shows these signs, it is way too late to induce vomiting, and it's not actually safe to do so. So you always want to get to a veterinarian right away. And what we'll often do is we're going to get an IV catheter in and start a drug called methocarbamol. This is an intravenous muscle relaxant to stop those tremors. We're going to start a really potent anti-vomiting medication, typically a drug called meropitin or Serenia IV, because we want to stop that nausea and the risk of your dog potentially vomiting and aspirating that into the lungs. Now, whenever I see traumagenic mycotoxins, it typically requires an overnight stay with pretty aggressive care. Again, 
anti-seizure medication, anti-tremoring medication, IV fluids, sometimes cooling measures, because a lot of dogs will come in hyperthermic from tremoring so much. This typically costs at least $1,000. So what better way of saving money than fencing off your compost? Now, again, as a veterinarian who happens to be pretty crunchy, I want to help save the earth so we can save our animals on the earth. I want you to compost, but if you're going to do it, make sure it's in a well-secured fenced-off area and make sure there's no dairy or meat inside. The last two poisons that I wanted to talk about that we see more during the fall, first of all, they both start with M, so mushrooms and mothballs. Now, when we get a lot of rain, I'll often see mushrooms. They look like these little benign, small brown mushrooms growing in the yard. Well, the majority of mushrooms are totally benign and they're not a big deal. But it is really hard to be able to adequately identify mushrooms. Now, in full disclosure, I am a morel mushroom hunter. I love to hunt for mushrooms when I have time, but I only ever hunt for morel mushrooms, which come out in April or May, depending on where you live, when the lilacs are blooming. So I don't usually see morel mushroom poisoning during the fall. But depending on where you live, if you get a lot of rain in a moist environment, you can see more mushrooms in the fall. And there are a few deadly ones out there, and they're poisonous to humans too. The classic one is an amanita mushroom, and this can be fatal. It causes severe organ failure, mostly affecting the liver. There are a couple of different mushrooms out there. Regardless, if you see mushrooms start to spring up in your yard, it is so important to pull them up because they spread like crazy. So when in doubt, make sure to pick them up before your dog has a chance to ingest them. Last thing, mothballs. Some people are still using mothballs, and a lot of times they're doing this because they're taking out all their winter clothes and their winter blankets and putting their summer clothes away. Well, when mice and rats come into the house, so do moths. And mothballs, while they look benign, are actually really dangerous. And I wish they didn't make them into small ball-sized shapes because young children can be poisoned by these too because they look like gumballs. Now, there's two different types of chemicals in mothballs, paradichlorobenzene and naphthalene. Now, in actuality, you don't need to know that, but I will say the classic smell of mothballs is usually due to what we call old-fashioned mothballs that contain naphthalene. And these are actually much more poisonous than the paradichlorobenzene ones. What do we see from mothball poisoning? Well, we can see some gastrointestinal signs like drooling, vomiting, belly pain, to more life-threatening signs like tremors or seizures. And sometimes I can actually see red blood cell changes too, like a problem called Heinz body anemia. Very rarely, mothballs can actually result in organ failure. It's not worth taking the chance. When in doubt, you always want to keep your dog and cat safe, especially as the weather gets colder with these five common poisons that I see as a toxicologist more during the fall. So again, please stop using mouse and rat poisons. They're dangerous to the environment. They kill off our birds of prey and other animals that accidentally eat these poison mice and rats. And it's not worth having your own dog or cat poisoned by them. Chocolate. You want to keep that Halloween stash out of reach. When it comes to composting, yes, please compost, but please make sure it's fenced off so your dog doesn't develop tremorgenic mycotoxins. And don't forget those two other M's, mushrooms and mothballs. Don't let mushrooms grow in your yard. And if you do see it, pick them out immediately and dispose of them and wash your hands. 
and mothballs. If you are going to use them, please make sure they're in a container that your dog can't get into if they run into the closet. If your pet did ingest something poisonous, don't despair. When it comes to any poisoning, keep in mind the sooner that we find out your dog or your cat is poisoned, the sooner we can do something about it. You want to make sure to call your vet, your emergency vet, or your ER vet, or the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center immediately for life-saving care. And that's because sometimes we can induce vomiting right away, or you may even be able to do this at home with the guidance of the ASPCA. You never want to do it without talking to your vet or the ASPCA, because sometimes it can be dangerous. More importantly, know that the sooner we treat the poison, the better it is for your pet and the less costly it's going to be for you. Well, that brings me to the end of today's show. Find me at Dr. Justine Lee on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Justine Lee or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time and make sure to keep your dogs and cats safe this fall. We'd like to thank Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.